Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. How many football fans we have? Wasn't that a great comeback last Sunday night by the Green Bay Packers? I'm sorry, Chicago Bear fans, but that was amazing. That brother was on one leg, hopping around, dodging 300-pound men, throwing touchdowns. That's a bad dude. Um, so they have a tough game again today. And uh, I thought about him, Aaron Rodgers, and uh, something that happened in 2014. In my opinion, in 2014, the Packers should have won the Super Bowl. Uh, they lost to the uh, Seattle Seahawks in overtime in the championship game. Uh, but they went on like an 11-game winning streak. But it didn't start that way. At the beginning of that season, the Packers were 1-2. and two, And everybody's high hopes for the Packers seemed like they were going to be dashed uh, because Aaron Rodgers had a low uh, completion percentage rate. The Packers were not scoring many points. Uh, and they, were, they started off with a losing record. And uh, during one of his um, media conferences, Aaron Rodgers took the microphone and he had some advice for Packer Nation. He said, R-E-L-A-X. Relax. Y'all remember that? So I've got something I want to tell you this morning. R-E-L-A-X. And I'm not talking about the Packers. I'm talking about the opposite of living a stressed life. Many of us are stressed in life. Doctors have, have really um, related a lot of the health disparities that we are experiencing in our bodies to stress. A lot of the things that are going on, there are no symptoms that naturally relate to something physical, but it's related to stress. Many of you who have youth and millennials in your home, you know that they stay up at night. The television is on, the light is on, the cell phone is plugged up, and, and, and the ringer is on late at night. They can't sleep. They can't shut down. I was watching the news this morning, and, uh, and they were talking about this, new, this video game called Fortnite that uh, people have become addicted to that, and the divorce rate is going up as a result of that. Spouses are divorcing because of the addiction to that. Let me ask you all a question. Let me just come down your street. How many of you are workaholics? Ain't nobody raising their hand. We got one or two honest men in the room. Okay, we got another sister over there that's honest. 
Workaholics are addicted to work. They're, they're compulsive when it comes to work. They feel guilty. In fact, they feel sick when they're sitting down. That's how you know you're a workaholic. You just got to get up and do something. And as a result, you're stressed out. I did a little research about uh, the United States and other countries as it relates to stress and as it relates to work. And I came across this statistic about countries who take days off. How many, year, how many days off a year uh, do the average worker take off in various countries? Uh, Japan is a workaholic nation. The average is five days a year that they take off a year. North Korea, which is a dictator nation, takes off seven days a year. The nation that knows how to party is Brazil. They take an average of 41 days a year, and they're all paid. 30 paid holiday, uh, vacation days and 11 paid holidays. The United States, somewhere in, the be in between, we're about 10, uh, no, actually we're 17 vacation days a year. But the interesting thing about vacation is that uh, the, the United States is that we record the most unused vacation days of any nation. So people have the time off, but they don't take it. R-E-L-A-X. How many of you feel stuck in your journey with Jesus Christ? Don't raise your hand. How many of you feel like you're struggling when it comes to spending time with the Lord? When it, when it comes to being busy, you're always on the run. You feel like you don't have time to stop and be with the Lord. You would if you could, but there's just so much that you have to do. Barclon, we're beginning this journey this month on emotionally healthy spirituality. And one of the reasons that we do this, that we're doing it, is because... I, as a pastor, and I'm sure that many of you probably don't see any real difference between those who are believers and those who are non-believers. We have the same basic lifestyle, the same, uh, uh, the same tendencies, the same behaviors, the same attitudes. There's no difference. And so Jesus offers us a solution. It's better than Aaron Rodgers' solution. Jesus offers us a way to relax even in the midst of our circumstances. You know, I think about Daniel when Daniel was in the lion's den. If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel's chapter 6 and verse 10. And Daniel was in a, in a stressful situation. And yet the scripture says that even when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows open in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done before. See, Daniel refused to live that hurry-up life. He refused to allow the circumstances of the king writing a decree that nobody could pray to anybody except him. He refused to allow that to change his pattern and his behavior. He was rooted and grounded with God. He knew that he had to spend time with God, and he did it how many times a day? You're good Bible students. In Psalms 119, in verse 164, 
we learn about David and how David practiced praise and prayer seven times a day. Verse 164 says, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Can you just imagine just going through the course of your day, just giving God praise? Not just a quick devotion in the morning, not just once a week on Sunday morning, but every day, constantly, you're going through your day, you're inviting God into the midst of your circumstances. That's Jesus' solution to stress. Even the early church understood this pattern. And after the resurrection of Jesus in Acts chapter 3, and of course we know in Acts 2 the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. But in Acts 3, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. It was the ninth hour. You see, even then the early church had a habit of praying three times a day. And as a result, in verse 6, the Bible says, Peter says, listen, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Take up your bed and walk. Most of us can't say that today. It's because we don't have that same connection with God. We don't have that vitality and that life and that power that comes from being intimate with the Lord. And what the Lord is really teaching us, he gave us a gift. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. He gave us the gift of the Sabbath. The gift of the Sabbath. It is really just shutting down and being still and silent in the presence of the Lord. Even in the midst of activity, we can still and quiet ourselves no matter what's going on and be with the Lord. I want to look at Exodus chapter 16 and verse 26. When the Lord instituted the Sabbath. And this, this really came during the time when the Israelites were in the wilderness and God, and God began feeding them with manna from heaven. But he gave them manna on the first six days. They didn't get any on the seventh day because God wanted to show them that that's a day that you shouldn't gather. You shouldn't work. So in verse 26, he says six days you can gather it. But on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day, there's not going to be any. In verse 29 of the same chapter. The Lord said, understand that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he will give you two days worth of bread. Each of you stay where you are. No one is to leave his place on the seventh day. Of course, we know in Exodus 20, that's where one of the commandments is that we must remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So God gave us a gift when he gave us the Sabbath. He's not punishing us. He's blessing us. He's giving us twice as much on the sixth day. So that we can enjoy him on that seventh day. Psalm 37 and verse 7 also tells us how God commands us to slow down spiritually. In Psalm 37 and 7, the psalmist says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. God is literally commanding us, be still, to wait, to be patient, to slow down, to be, be silent before him. I want to take you to Psalm 46. And it says that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountain be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, 
It kind of sounds like Hurricane Florence going on right there. Verse 4 says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So this morning, God is telling us, slow down, relax, be with him, enjoy his presence. Don't be in a hurry to, to do what you, what you feel like you, are, you have to do, your job or your task at home. You know, the psalmist tells us that unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Come on, so just be still and wait patiently for God. Let God do the work. Jesus has a, a way of helping us learn how to slow down. And that is by he often sends us into storms. He sends us into difficult situations. In John chapter 6, in verse 16 through 21, it illustrates this. That when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and they started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Hallelujah. That's encouraging. You know, Jesus was, was physically tired in the previous verses. He had fed 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. I don't believe Jesus was ever stressed. He was too blessed to be stressed. I don't mean like the way you all talk about it. I'm too blessed to be stressed, and you know you're stressed out. I'm talking about he was, he was so connected with his father. In fact, even after feeding the 5,000, he spent some time in solitude and silence away from the crowd. He went up to a mountain alone to pray and be with his father. He sent his disciples into a boat because he wanted to teach them this principle of the Sabbath. He wanted to teach them to learn how to trust him. That's what God wants us to do. In the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of your stress, in the midst of your crisis, do you trust him? So he's testing them by bringing them into this difficult situation. God wants to identify your fears today. What anxieties or what fears are you carrying? What's troubling you? What, what kind of storm are you in right now? Jesus wants to, he wants to walk on the water. He wants to come into your boat today. The disciples were in the darkest part of the day. The Bible says when evening came, it was dark. So you imagine being, in a, being on the sea and you can't see to the left or to the right. I remember a few years ago when my wife and I, we took a cruise to, uh, to Mexico, to Cancun. 
And uh, one of the excursions we, t- we did was snorkeling. Well, I should say one of the excursions I did was snorkeling. <laughs> Sister girl was safe on the boat. And I literally, when I jumped in the water, it felt good. It was warm and, you know, the little pretty fish are down there. And the, the, uh, the tour guides would throw fish food in front of you so that the fish would come, you know, near you. And all of, all of that beauty was around me. But I could not enjoy the beauty. You know why? Because the mask that I had on, it only looked forward. I couldn't see to the side. And I kept panicking. I couldn't even enjoy the fish because I was looking around waiting for jaws to come <laughs> on the side of me. I'm, I, I start hyperventilating, y'all. I start, <laughs> you know, I had the little tube going up to the top. I was taking in water. I was somebody nodding their head like me too, me too, right? The disciples were in that same kind of situation. They couldn't see to the left or to the right. So you can imagine the sense of the loss of control that they had. Many of us are just like that. We want to see what's coming. I know, I know a certain girl that, that, that sleeps with the light on in the hallway because she wants to see if an intruder is coming down the hall. I want to see him first. Sense of control. Not mention any names. <laughs> so the disciples were, were in a dark place. The scripture also says that they were in an unfamiliar place. They were, they were on the sea. And I know that many of them were fishermen. But, but I want you to understand that we were not created to live on the sea. We were created to walk on dry land. The fish live in the sea. So they were out of their element, if you will. It's a place that they could, they could live and manage for a certain period of time, but not for their entire life. And then strong winds began to blow. Verse 17 says that Jesus had not come to them yet, and the sea became rough because of a strong wind that was blowing. And then they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. I think they were more frightened seeing a man walking on the water than they were of the wind and the waves and the darkness. They were terrified. But Jesus said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. What he was really telling them is that the same way that he introduced himself to Moses, when Moses in Exodus 3 said, Lord, Who should I tell the children of Israel until Pharaoh is sending me to let them go? God said, tell them I am that I am. If you really want to know what my name is, the the name of God is I am. That's what he told the disciples. He said, I am. It is I. Don't be afraid. And the Lord wants his people to park along and know that whatever storm you're facing right now, Some of you are facing storms of cancer, divorce, debt. You're losing control of certain areas of your life, certain functions of your life. God wants you to know that he's got a name for every one of your circumstances. 
For those of you going through cancer, the I am says, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord, your healer. That you can experience his, his peace in the midst of that storm. He's walking towards you. He knows where you are and he's walking towards you right now. For those of you that are dealing with addictions, something's chasing you and some, some, something that you desire and you know it's destructive for your life. He wants you to know that I am the Lord, your deliverer. Some of you that are dealing with debt and dealing with, with, with not enough. He says, I am Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh. I'm the Lord, your provider. Whatever you need me to be, a peace, joy, creator, way maker, I am that I am. But the key is in verse 21 because it says that they were glad to take him into the boat. You've got to be willing. You've got to make a decision. Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you in my circumstance. You have to invite Jesus into your boat. They were willing. They were glad to take him into the boat. Until you get to that place that you invite him in. Your life is going to continue to be tossed by the winds and the waves of life, by the circumstances. Now, there was one miracle that he was walking on the water. But there's another miracle in this story in verse 21. That immediately after they took him into the boat, the boat was at the land to which they were going. (laughs) Think about that. The moment you invite Jesus into your circumstance... You've got everything you need. That's a miracle. God's going to take care of the rest. The moment that you begin to embrace the principles of the Sabbath and silence and solitude and you feel like, oh, I just got so much to do. I just got to keep going. And God says, no, if you just stop and spend time with me, I'm going to give you twice as much at that moment that you invite me in than you could ever accomplish and accumulate on your own. That's a miracle. So God wants us to, he wants us to relax. He wants us to to just lean in onto him. He wants us to trust him. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 44, God doesn't want us to come before him with stress or anxiety or even sweat. Now I say this not to my my praise dance team this morning. I got a few sweaty hugs this morning. You see my sisters and brother Lawrence up, they were sweating. Come on, you do that for 15, 20 minutes. You're gonna, you might pass out. You might not just sweat. So it's not geared towards you because that's a workout. Come on, you, how many of you work out? You're going to sweat. It's not what I'm talking about. But God's talking about when we're in a relationship with him. There should be no stress. There should be no anxiety. He doesn't want sweat. And he illustrates it by the relationship that he had with the Levitical priest. In Ezekiel 44 and verse 15. It says, but the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept the charge of my sanctuary, when the people of Israel went astray from me, shall not come near to me to minister to me. And they shall stand before me. To offer me the fat and the blood, declares the Lord. They shall enter my sanctuary. 
and they shall approach my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. Verse 17, when they enter the gates of the inner court, they shall wear linen garments. They shall have nothing of wool on them while they minister at the gates of the inner court and within. They shall have linen turbans on their heads and linen undergarments around their waist. And they shall not bind themselves with anything that causes sweat. And when they go out into the outer court to the people, they shall put off the garments. Excuse me just a second. It's technology acting up. Verse 19, Ezekiel, keep it up. When they go out into the outer court of the people, they shall put off the the garments in which they have ministered and lay them in the holy chambers and they shall put on other garments lest they transmit holiness to the people with their garments. That verse right there, verse 19, just illustrates that you and I, we can pass anxiety on to other people. We can, we can pass our stress and our frustration on to somebody else. Don't look at nobody, just keep looking at me because you're thinking about somebody right now. You know, it's often, it's often even passed down genetically through our DNA. If, if you were to look at a genogram or look at the, the genealogy of your family, we all are the way we are because of mama and daddy and big mama and big daddy and great grandmama and great granddaddy. That's passed down to us. Some of us grew up with, with mamas and daddies and aunties and grandmamas that were over-functioners. You know what I mean by over-functioner? They just control freaks. Don't look at nobody. Men, don't look at, don't, don't you look over there. Just keep looking at me. Don't elbow them. Don't. Overfunctioners are those people that are like a workaholic. They're compulsively addicted to functioning, to doing stuff for people, things that nobody even asked them to. They're afraid that, that if we don't do it, it's going it's to fall apart. Life's going to fall apart. They fear the unknown. They, they remind us of Martha in Luke chapter 10. Verse 38, that as Jesus entered into a village, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha was distracted with much serving. She was an overfunctioner. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, don't take this scripture wrong. The Lord doesn't want us to be lazy He doesn't want us to neglect responsibility. 
It's not what it's talking about, having a dirty and a nasty house. Some of y'all going to leave this. See, the bishop told me I don't have to. I don't have to clean up today. That's not what I'm talking about. The devil is a liar. Clean your house up. Amen. Cook those meals that you have to. But as you do it, do it conscious of the Lord being with you. Do it without an attitude of sweat. I decided I was going to wear linen this morning. Just to illustrate this message. In Ezekiel, the Lord said, I don't want the priest to have any wool Undergarments. Can you imagine wearing knitted underwear? Oh my God. You don't want to walk, right? You just want to stand in place because it hurts. It's hot. He says, no, no wool turbans, no wool outer garments, no wool undergarments. Everything must be linen. I want it to breathe. That's how you were created, to live in the rhythm of life with God. God breathes out, you breathe in. God breathes out, you breathe in. Everywhere you go, you are practicing the presence of God. You are constantly in prayer. Not just coming to prayer, but you're praying with the Lord like David seven times a day. Like Daniel three times a day. Like the early church three times a day. And if you don't get to that place... You can begin to transmit your anxiety to the people around you. You can make them over. In fact, your over functioning can cause them to under function. You paralyze and you limit the growth and the ability of other people around you because you're doing for them what they should be developed to do themselves. Your children don't learn how to make a bed up because you've done it. Over functioning. Jesus refused to allow Mary, to allow Martha, excuse me, to transfer her anxiety onto him or even to her sister Mary. He says, you're anxious and you're troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen that good portion. It shall not be taken away from her. Here's some qualities, characteristics of an overfunctioner. Do you act in your life as if everything is a top and an urgent priority? Everything is a number one priority. Everything has to be done right now. In fact, some stuff can wait. Can wait till tomorrow. Can wait till next week. Don't look at nobody. Y'all better keep looking at me. Is your family used to you doing too much? And you feel it's really hard now to break that cycle. It's just... It's just who I am. It's just the way I am. Do you feel that asking for help is a sign of weakness and imperfection? And you'd rather struggle alone and try to do it all yourself. Is there underfunctioning going on in your house or on your job because you're overfunctioning? And finally, when you stop and you take the time to really think about it. Are you living someone else's definition of happiness and success? So you're really unhappy with your own life because you're living somebody else's definition. In this season, God is shaking us. He's not just shaking us, but he's moving us. He's shifting us. He's shifting us away from emotionally unhealthiness and spiritual immaturity. And the Lord says he wants us to invite him into our boat. 
the moment we invite him into our boat, we're going to end up at the destination that we set out to in the beginning. And that's to be fully formed disciples of Jesus Christ. One of the practices that the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course and lifestyle observes is something called the daily offices. The daily offices. It, it, the offices really is a Latin word for daily work. And, and it's, not, it's not a task that you take on, but it's a, it's a lifestyle. The daily offices are something that are observed two times a day. They can be practiced even more. The early church did it three. Daniel did it three times. David did it seven times. But it's in the course of your day, rather than just having a morning devotion or a morning quiet time, but in the course of your day, you observe in the morning and in the afternoon or the evening a time in which you just just stop and you're silent and you're still before the Lord. It don't have to be long. Give me two, three, four, five six, seven, eight, however much time you have, 10 minutes maybe. That is so contradictory to our culture and to our world. Because this world is so, hurry up, get it done, add more to your plate, keep going, keep going. When we do that, our body physically changes. Our mind physically changes. I'm not talking about Eastern meditation. We're not Hindus or Buddhists. We're not asking you to, you know, practice yoga and clear your mind and you worry about evil spirits coming in on you. We know that we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. They're doing it without the presence of the Lord. We're, We're doing it inviting Jesus into our life. But when we practice that principle of Sabbath, We begin to change. We begin to relax. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkline Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.